Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. MM stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. Evans will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your Wolves correspondent for The Athletic, fresh from watching another Wolves match, Tim Spears. You can't get enough of them, Fruit. Watcher. Right, yeah, pop down to see the under-23s, Agbro this afternoon, 2-2 draw, just cannot get enough, cannot get enough. On this week's Molyneux View, we've worked out why Wolves have struggled for form at Molyneux for much of this season. The problem is they've mostly been playing against 11 men. There you go. They solved that problem against Arsenal and Brighton and looked so much better for it. Youth played a part. Morgan Gibbs-White took his opportunity to shine and score. What's next for him? Is the back four here to stay for the rest of this season and beyond? Or will Nuno be having nightmare visions this week of Kane, Son and Bale attacking aerial set pieces? Because we are. The Athletics' Jack Pitbrook will help psych us up for Spurs away on Sunday and tell us what to expect. Probably lots of corners. You can read all of Tim's Wolves words only by signing up for less than a pound a week for six months at theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod. Hello, Fruit. So you've just got back from Agbra, have you? I have, yeah. Just getting in all my live football that I can squeezed into my brain before everybody leaves uh, in a couple of weeks' time <laughs> for a few weeks off. It was good. I liked it. They, they're um, end of the regular season, last game. The season finished 2-2 against Reading and they'll be in the playoffs next week away at Palace for a, uh, a chance for promotion to the top flight, which of course is what they want. For people who don't know, they're in the second tier at the moment, but they want to be in the top flight where they can be playing Man City, Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool every week. They're the glamour ties in the, in the world of the under-23s. Just like the first team, they've got a host of injuries and uh, yeah, but some, some good individual performances and uh, an interesting afternoon. So... Wolves beating Brighton, with the help of a sending off, of course. Plenty to discuss, lots of positives. The first half, apart from the first 10 minutes, wasn't one of those positives. My God, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was scary. It's quite scary how, you know, one goal, one moment, and Wolves just imploded and disintegrated and lost all their confidence and reminded me very much so of, of the games against West Ham and Arsenal at Molyneux where you know they've yeah imploded in the first half obviously the Burnley game for the entire 90 minutes as well and Nuno Nuno said the word energy repeatedly after the game that's what he was so alarmed that his team was lacking in the first half energy but not for 10 minutes they were fine for the first 10 minutes so I thought the first 10 minutes they were great they were they were passing it about on the front foot nice little give and goes great movement inventive you know, no, no kind of clear-cut chances as such, but I was thinking, you know, Wolves, Wolves are on it today. They're in the mood today to play some good football and they are doing it. It was a, it was a confidence thing for me. You know, they, they, they don't react well to adversity as much this season. They, they've been so hard to beat for three years and to watch them fall apart with one free header from a corner, it's quite, it's quite sad, really. And yeah, just another sign that these long two years, just they just need an end to it and they need a summer and hopefully get back to themselves next year because you know to watch them quite comfortably swatted aside by Brighton and it should have been 2-3 in that first half and they were lucky to be 1-0 down at half-time because otherwise it would have been a long afternoon. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because after the debacle against Burnley, which we don't want to talk too much about, but it was alarming, Nuno then sort of a week later talked about energy and long COVID and that kind of thing. So we thought, okay, maybe that's a bit of an explanation. But actually he seems to have changed his mind again now. And when he talks about that Burnley game now, he talks about it as something that cannot be repeated, as if it was a almost a mindset thing, which we were all concerned about at the time. I mean, is this a concern going forwards? Do they not have the mental strength? 
No, I, I don't think so. I'm uh, when we when we went through the Burnley debacle for a good hour a couple of weeks ago. I just the overriding thing for me was they're on the beach and uh, and a lot of them have just had enough of a very long two years. They got they ground out the results they needed to stay up, and then all of a sudden they're on the beach. And I, I still I still feel like a few of them are, but but not in a kind of they don't care. It's more just. Like I said, it's been an incredibly long year, two years, and people like Neves and Dendonka, Saïs, Bolly, Cody, I feel like they just need a break, and I don't think it's any coincidence whatsoever that in the last two weeks, the youngsters have outshone the seniors, and that's not because they're better players, and they've just got more energy and looking to come in and prove a point, and you know, the rest of the first team, maybe there's a hint of staleness about it, but I think more, more, more than that, there's just fatigue, and they're just desperate, like so many of them are, like Nuno I'm sure is, although he'd never admit it, Desperate for the season to end, get away from the club, get away from Compton Park. You know, um, going in the same place every day for for so long, and just hit that re- reset button. I, I think it's painfully obvious. Well, let's get the negatives out of the way because it's kind of chronological, wasn't it? Really, the defending for the Brighton goal. I don't know how many times you've watched it back, but I, when I got back from a, another game that I was doing yesterday uh, on Sunday, I watched it back at night and recorded it on my phone and watched it back and watched it back and watched it back and was completely and utterly horrified by the defending and the marking and the the ease with which these players just brushed past the limp challenge of the likes of Neves, Matinho and Vitinha to have time and again free headers from lofted balls from a corner. The corner thing is the obvious thing to point out, but it's, it's the build-up to Brighton creating those chances, which is probably even more alarming. You cannot excuse them for the corners, but you can explain it in that they've only got Max Kilman with height in the team, arguably. They were missing, I don't know, Dendonka, Saïs, Bolly were, were, were your chief kind of guys that are going to go and win the ball in the air. Even Jimenez to an extent, William Jose to an extent. They're the guys with height, and they weren't in the team, and it was a total mismatch in terms of height. And it, you know the organisation was poor, um, but Brighton exploited that brilliantly. But what was worse for me was was the way that they were conceding chances and letting Brighton walk through them. And Brighton are, are a good team. They're a better team than their league position suggests, in my opinion. But Wolves made it too easy for them. Real soft centre in the middle with Neves and Matinho in particular. I mean, is that a concern going forwards? Neves and Matinho, soft centre? Because it's been a concern for a little while. I don't think so. I think if you look at their sort of tackle stats, they're right up there with, with the best in the league. Certainly Neves is. Matinho is quite easy to run past because he's not the most sort of mobile or young these days. But but in terms of their positioning, they're, they're normally extremely sound. When you're looking at what they need to add in midfield, I think they need more of a dynamic sort of box-to-box player who can add a bit of physicality, sort of like a Dendonka type, but hopefully someone who can add goals. It wasn't just one of those days because it's happened a lot this season. But in terms of in terms of long term, I'd still be having Ruben Neves in my midfield, for example. Do you think there is a little bit of doubt about him? He's not had a good season. Matinho's not either. And neither's Dendonka. I mean, that's the entire Wolves midfield right there. Are you happy just to write it off as a random poor season for lots of reasons and you expect them to step up again next season? Because they'll have to if that's a midfield again. The biggest issue is Matinho and I don't, think he's, I don't think he's a guaranteed starter anymore and won't be a guaranteed starter next season. You know, what is he, 35 now? And Dendonka, great versatility in the squad, but I, you know, I don't think he's a guaranteed starter either. I wouldn't be discarding either of those players at all, but I, th- I just think they need someone else in there. Yeah, Matinho will be 35 in September, so just after the start of the season. Um, So the corner situation was a real concern. As you said, there's not a lot of height and you wonder, I mean, you look at Brighton, they play lovely football, but they also have some height and it doesn't half help, doesn't it? Both defensively and attacking wise. Yeah, absolutely. That's you know one of their one of their major strengths, and they exploited it. And uh, we saw a carbon copy of the goal from the three three in January, where Ruben Neves is stood by Lewis Dunk, and and Dunk gets the march on him and and scores a free header. Exactly the same thing happened in January, but like I said, Wolves didn't have that height on the field, so that was I guess always going to be a weakness for them, and so it proved. But uh, thankfully, it was only one goal. It was. And then Lewis Dunk, as we know, got himself sent off. Very easy decision for the referee. I particularly enjoyed, I particularly enjoyed just before kickoff when Guy Mowbray on BBC Commentary said this. John Moss is the referee. It's 23rd Premier League match this season. He's yet to issue a red card. Nearly there for the whole season, John. Don't ruin it now. And Lewis Dunk took that out of his hands, which was quite helpful from a Wolves point of view because they were trailing and it was a lovely bit of movement, wasn't it? A lovely one-two between Vitinha and Fabio Silva for Silva to race clear. And we will never know whether Silva was going to score that goal. Would you put your money on him? Uh, no. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have put... Well, I'd have put some money on, Jackie. I'd have put some money on, but... I- 
Not if, your I had a more, if I had a mortgage, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be putting it on. But um, yeah, and if, if Lewis Dunn could go back in time, I think he would just he would have taken his taken his chances and seen if Fabio Silva was was going to finish that off or not. Because, um, but yeah, what, what I would say is that although that was a important and sort of pivotal well pivotal moment in the game, Wolves had already come out at the start of the second half with exactly the the energy and the intent that that they hadn't been shown in the first half, and Brighton were already sort of on on the back foot at that point. That moment was something we just haven't seen all season. You know, a through ball, through centre-halves for a striker to chase. I know William Jose's played a lot, of, a lot of those games up front, so you're not going to play those balls to him. But still, that was great to see. And this is what I loved about the performance. And, you know, we've spoken about the, the negatives of the first half, but I came away from Molyneux completely enthused by what I'd seen in that second half. And primarily the performances of the kids and Gibbs White with this wonderful moment, you know, been with the club since he's eight years old and then scores his first Premier League goal. It's a last-minute winner, live on telly. Absolutely fantastic. Fairy tale stuff, really is. Um, but the way that they approach the game and the way and their routes to goal, we talk about routes to goal all the time. That first goal, just straight through the, the meat of the Brighton defence, lovely little one-two in the penalty area. These are notions we are not used to. And the second goal as well, great finish from around the penalty area. But but Vitinha and Gibbs-White were trying to probe through the middle of Brighton's defence. And I thought they um, the youngsters lifted the whole team. I thought Matinho was lifted as a result. I mean, that pass he played for that William Jose chance, the little chipped pass into the box. It was fabulous. It was a great second half. And I know people will point to the fact that Brighton went down to 10 men. Well, you know, we've spoken about how difficult they can be to play against and how they've got big, strong, tall, physical players. Also, they needed a result to ensure survival. That's what their that's what their remit was on the day. And we've seen in the past that Wolves have had problems playing against 10 men. So massive credit to the way that they completely took the game by the Scriffernet. They took the initiative, took the game to Brighton. And with a lot of persistence, you know, eventually they got the winning goal and got their got their rewards really for what I thought was was a fantastic second half performance. I, I loved it. I loved watching it. I thought it was great. I think this has given Nuno food for thought really about next season because he's been used to these flat banks of 3-4-3, three, three, you know, for the majority of his Wolves reign and now you're adding the addition of people like Vitinha, Gibbs-White, Pedence, you know, players who thrive between the lines and in the hole. And then if you've got Neto and Traore either side of them that and Jimenez in front of them, then that's a recipe for goals, pure pure and simple. Um, we know the record Jimenez has got. We know that Neto can score. Traore's adding a few. Goals, goals, goals. I can see it happening. Honestly, but I think the key to all this is tightening up the defence. If they can tighten up and have a solid back four, then they can... Then, they, then, And he says it all the time. He's been saying it for years, really. Then they can go and show their talent upfield. It's the organisation that comes first. If they get that right, then they've got hugely talented and creative players to go and do their thing up front. So it's getting those foundations right first, which is what they've suffered with this season. But... I was, like I said, I was so enthused by a number of them, particularly the youngsters. I mean, Aitnori has just blossomed with this latest run in the team since Johnny's injury. I think he's really coming on in terms of confidence in himself going forward, taking players on. He was involved constantly in that second half. I thought he was great. On the other flank, I was unbelievably impressed with impressed impressed with Kiana Hoover, and it's not like he had an eight out of ten or a nine out of ten game and set up loads of chances and took loads of players on. It was just a very sensible, intelligent performance. And I thought his defensive positioning was great. I thought his overlaps were really smart. He didn't really give the ball away. He didn't do anything daft defensively. I think he could show Semedo a thing or two, to be honest. I really, I was really impressed by how he dovetailed with Trail Ray, which we haven't really seen all season from Semedo, just in fits and starts, really. So I thought he was great. Everything I've heard about him is positive. And he's so young, but the, I think he's got a really bright future. Have they still got the receipt for Semedo? Are we still within the the refund time? Or hopefully he he thrives next season after a difficult first season. We do see that sometimes with with people who come over and struggle to get used to the intensity of the Premier League, which is what Nuno's spoken about quite a bit. When you ask him about Semedo, he talks about the, the intensity of the Premier League and he hasn't got used to it. So hopefully next season is a season for him, but. I'd like to see more from Hoover, and I think he's been unlucky not to feature more this season. And if Samedo's price tag wasn't as hefty, maybe we would have seen a bit more of Keanu Hoover. I think he's got a lot to offer. Um, but the, the, you know, just we could run through the whole team here. But just to kind of say, Kilman, I thought was was great. I thought he grew into the game after a shaky start. Uh, Vitinha showed some nice touches. He wasn't quite as influential as against Albion, but I thought you know, pretty decent game again. Traore was was sensational, really. I thought he thought he was at his best. 
Loves playing against Dan Byrne. Uh, I thought Nuno got that right in terms of holding him back and then bringing him on for a 30-minute spurt, which is you know an interesting way of using Traore. Silva was just very, very busy. I tell you what, if he was if he was five yards, well, not five yards, if he was a yard quicker, then he'd he'd be he'd really be something. He has got other qualities that make up for that. But can I just point out that I absolutely know what you mean? But I remember watching Harry Kane when he was England under twenty one, but really not a very good one at all. And uh, Stuart Pearce watched him and thought, Nah, I'm not going to select him. He, he wasn't he wasn't good at all. Saw him play for Millwall. He was a he was at Leicester. He was at Norwich. He looked frankly, bang average. And he was so slow. But as he's progressed and as he's, what his training has improved and as he's bulked up and and got bigger and fitter and stronger, his speed has improved as well. And I just wonder and hope very much that that could happen with Fabio Silva too. It's funny you mentioned Harry Kane. I I remember Kenny Jackett telling me that Harry Kane was the hardest working player he's ever managed in his whole career. And we know how long Kenny Jackett's been a manager. He had him briefly at Millwall on loan and said, yeah, the hardest working player he's, he's ever coached. And it's no, no coincidence that he's he's therefore got to the very top. Um, so that's Silver's challenge, isn't it? And he was described by his um, youth coach at Tottenham as the runt of the litter. He was nowhere near the top for anything at all. But John McDermott, I think it was, um, has said that there was just something about him. They couldn't let him go, even though his stats were nowhere near any of the others. There was just something about him and, of course, his work ethic that made them think, let's just hang on to him and look at what's happened. So he was far, far from an early bloomer. He looked like he was running in treacle when I saw him at the den. He was so slow, but he is he's come on. And I think that is a really, really good sign for Fabio Silva because he has the work ethic and he has the talent that we know about. So much potential. It's often the case. You often hear players say, if they're asked a question, oh, were you always the most talented kid at school? A lot of them will, will tell you no, that there were players that were far more talented than them, but just never made it because they didn't have the, the work ethic or maybe didn't get the breaks. But you hear people talk about Cristiano Ronaldo all the time. He hasn't got to the, to the very top of the game because of talent at all, really. He's probably 10% talent and 90% he's worked at it. Um, he has got a bit of talent. He's got a, he's got a little bit, Jackie, and you know... <laughs> If he wants to come to Molyneux one day, then we'll we'll talk. But um, but you know the point I'm trying to make. You, you, mm. the, there are some hugely talented, ridiculously talented players, and there are many in a wool shirt that have, haven't realised their potential because they haven't worked hard enough. So that's Silver's challenge. That's a challenge for all these players that we talk about. And Morgan Gibbs White fits in that bracket as well. And you know, just to finish on yesterday's game, I thought it was a, a a real moment, a real special moment. And there are so many people that have gone into making that moment happen, all his coaches, all his family, all his friends, his managers. And um, I just thought it was brilliant. His smile, his smile at full time. He did a host of interviews. Um, I, I was lucky enough to interview him as well. And he was just absolutely buzzing. And the first thing he said was, it's about time. You know, he knows this, this is sort of overdue. This was his 60th league appearance for Wolves. And his first goal in the league for Wolves now of those 60 he's only started 10 believe it or not he's still only started 10 league games for Wolves he feels like he's been around for years which he has and this was the first time he's completed 90 minutes in the league for Wolves so it shows you how how much not that he's been underplayed but how we haven't really seen a huge amount of him really and I wrote a piece about this in February he just needs to play the kid just needs to play what we've seen and what was interesting when I was chatting to Morgan after the game and other interviews he'd done he referenced this as well in that Nuno's been really hard on him in training and you look at his season and I think you think this should have been his breakthrough year he should have smashed it at Swansea for a whole season and people will be talking about him as a superstar we know why that didn't happen um, but what we didn't know why that hadn't happened is why he hasn't been playing for Wolves since January. So he was called back on loan. He made one start against Everton and he hasn't made a start since until Brighton. So why wasn't he starting? Why isn't he featured? And he basically said Nuno's been very, very, very hard on him, which he, he said he likes, which he says he respects. And a lot of it is to do with, with growing up and his maturity in terms of how he plays the game and also his physicality, which he said he, he said he learned a lot at Swansea. He only played a few games for Swansea, but he said he learned a lot in that. He needs to um, improve the physical side of his game and the defensive side of his game. He referenced the fact that Nuno said, you can't leave gaps behind you. You know, when, when you've lost possession in the middle of the park, and obviously, I think he's had issues with not fitting into 3-4-3 as well. But if Nuno's going to persist with 4-2-3-1, then he's got 
Gibbs White and Bettinia uh, look like ready-made players to progress next season. Uh, they're both hugely talented. And when you talked about the maturity that he's lacked, do you mean football maturity? Has it been anything to do with the fact that he's a young player and he needs to learn off the pitch too? Because we know about the, the little incident he had in lockdown. Um, no, well, he was referencing football maturity. Yeah. And um, in fact, I asked Nuno about that as well. And, and he, said, um, he said he is a very mature lad and one who doesn't lack confidence. And another interesting point Nuno made on that front is that people can often knock Gibbs White or maybe someone like Pedence or Vitinha because their mistakes are so much more evident because they're the ones that are trying risky passes. They are the ones that are, that are trying difficult things that may not come off, may only come off half, you know, 50, 40, 30% of the time. And that's why people think, oh, he's having a bad game. But it takes guts, it takes composure, it takes balls to do what Gibbs White did in the last minute to, you know, composure after his shocking miss, open goal on the 85th minute. You know, you thought that was going to define his day and, and you know, maybe even define his Wolves career if he ends up leaving in the summer. Instead, five minutes later, that does take courage. And Nuno said that's, that's applicable to the rest of his game because he's always looking to try stuff. Always looking to try stuff. And I, and I love his positivity. His movement's great and always looking to play one-twos and positive passes. Wolves are really lack that this season. There was a lot of positive passing yesterday. Hoover, Aitnori, Vitinha, Gibbs-White, Traore, all positive. Really, I, it was great to watch. Want to see more of that. It was so good. And I was just so, just on a, a personal level, just so happy to see Morgan Gibbs-White score that goal. So happy because... People would have just talked about the miss just before that. And you could see Nuno's reaction. The cameras caught it on the touchline. And and Morgan would have seen that afterwards. And he'd have felt dreadful. I mean, it, was a, it wasn't the worst miss in the world. It was a miss. I mean, it wasn't literally a yard out with nobody in goal. And, you know, it was coming out from an angle. Of course, it was a miss. But it just would have been such a negative. And he could have given away a penalty, by the way, at 1-0. That would have been potentially 2-0 by my maths. And um, and that could have been another negative. But I was just so happy that it didn't happen that way. And his reaction at the end is what you want to see as a fan, as a Wolves fan, a homegrown player. I think a lot of fans are quite hard on Morgan. I, I'm not sure why, because I don't think he's he's not had a run in the side. He's never played 90 minutes in the league for Wolves, let alone a run. And never and really played in his preferred position. Exactly, exactly. We know all about the trust in playing in a central position. Also, the fact that Wolves don't play number 10s. They play three number 10s in this game, for goodness sake. But even so, he said he was told to stay out wide in the first game, first half. So he did. And then at halftime, Nuno said to him, oh, you, you can come inside, you know. And he went, oh, OK, I'll do that then and have more of a free role. And he said, in an ideal world, he'll play wherever he's told to. But in an ideal world, he will... He would ideally like to play in that 10 role. And as you mentioned, that positivity, the movement, and I love that movement. How many times have you and I sat here looking at this Zoom, looking at each other going, why are the routes to goal so flaming difficult? Why do they not play one twos? Why are they so static? Why are they so five touches to each other on the edge of the box and nobody makes that killer pass or makes that darting run or attacks the near post. And it is so frustrating to watch. And that's what these players did. And full credit to Morgan for what he did. I think he's best when he roams free. When he roams free and just plays football with a smile on his face, gets his head up. And um, I thought he was brilliant. And it was interesting how he said he's got a good relationship with Nuno as well. People see him as, as an easy option to maybe get rid of this summer. I, I, I don't see it that way, really. And I think a difference with Morgan is that he's come through the academy. He's been there since eight years old. They're desperate to get players through the academy and succeed in the first team. So he will be given every opportunity to do that. And I also think he's not forced his way into the team, but his performances off the bench have been important in recent weeks because he's really made a difference off the bench. And I think that's kind of said to Nuno, okay, you can trust me with a start. Um, But it's just great. Like you say, one of our own. And Mark Bromley tweeted me to say, when was the last time one of our own scored the winning goal at Molyneux? And I believe it was May 2017, so we're going back four years, when Danny Bart scored the winner against Preston on the final day of the 16-17 season. I can't remember a, a one since then. It shows you how kind of rare it is. People will say, and I get it, that the last two weeks, yes, the kids have been great, but they have been playing West Brom, now relegated, and Brighton, you know, who's just stayed up. But... They were, they're both big, tough, physical opponents with something to play for, safety on the line. You know, they are proper Premier League games. They're not, they were reduced to 10 men, but yeah, for the last yeah, but, half but, hour. Yeah, but still, yeah, yes, but it was still really positive. But that didn't make any difference to, to Gibbs-White's tasks at hand because it yeah. just meant, you know, they were still defending with the same amount of players. So the, the kids 
I think they've really, like I said, they've outshone the seniors um, aside from Trail Ray uh, in the last few weeks. They've really added enthusiasm and exuberance. And what's interesting now for the final three games of the season is does he continue to play these kids? And they are kids. There are no, there's no other Premier League team doing this, as far as I know. You know, Silva eighteen, Ignori nineteen, Hoover nineteen, Vitinha twenty, Gibbs White twenty one, Ottawa twenty. They're so young. There's no other Premier League team doing this. I think it's a great uh, experiment at the end of the season. I'm really enthused by what they brought to the table. It brings interest for now, but also poses questions for next season as well. Question for you: When was the last? Winning league goal by a Wolves Englishman. Uh, Winning. Bennett Bennett at Bristol City. It was. I knew you wouldn't let me down. Bennett (laughs) at Bristol City, which sparked that brilliant, brilliant gif of Nuno with his phone, wasn't it? And he'd been sent off to the stand, something like that. December 2017 was the last league, well, not even just league, but in all competitions, the last winning goal by a Wolves Englishman. Chris Smalling against Man United doesn't count because he was playing for them. But (laughs) that is bad though, isn't it, really? That's not great. There's been a couple of Wolves players who scored since then, but dear, oh dear. Anyway, you hinted at it earlier, Tim. This exciting 4-2-3-1, which fans love to see, these newfound 1-2s, combinations, partnerships, movement, excitement, goals, really hinges on a solid back four and... How do you see that panning out for next season? Do you think it's Cody plus one in the centre plus a new one? Um, there's so many. There are so many interesting questions for this summer. Um, do you know? I was looking the other day at Willie Bolly's appearances this season. He's only played 19 games. You know, at the league, we talk about. Jimenez and Johnny missing most of the season. That's half a season that Willie Bolly's missed. And when he has played, he hasn't looked himself. And I think injuries, and obviously now we know COVID and gastroenteritis, it sounds horrible. Um, but hopefully he's back soon. So we haven't seen the Willie Bolly that we know. I think a back two of Willie Bolly and Connor Cody with solid defensive fullbacks either side of them is a good enough potentially back four. And I certainly wouldn't be discarding... Um, Connor Cody anytime soon in terms of what he brings to the team. There's a raging debate going on amongst Wolves fans, which I'm quite sure you're aware of, as to whether Cody can play in a back two. Or is he there for his leadership skills? What do you say to those people? We've seen him play well in a back two. I remember uh, Arsenal away, I think the second time they played a back four, he was he was, he was was outstanding. I can't remember whose partner was that day. Maybe it was Willie Bolly. So he can do it. He's got, he's got attributes that, that can do it. I think his form has probably suffered maybe from burnout. It's hard to tell and I haven't spoken to him personally about it, but you know that, that may be an issue. But I think the chopping and changing of the back four, you ask any defender, any defensive coach, any manager, the key to a good defence is stability in selection and knowing who's, ne- knowing who's next to you, knowing who can do what and who's, who's got limitations and what their strengths are and where they're going to be on the pitch. Wolves haven't had that all season. They played eight players at left back, for God's sake. We know the problems, you know, Samedo's had in adjusting to the Premier League. And we know the issues Saïs has had about not defending crosses. And we know the injury problems that Willie Bolly's had. And Cody suffered for form too, certainly. And, you know, Chris Wood tore him to shreds a couple of weeks ago. And it didn't look great for him. But... Does he need a bit more pace alongside him? Yeah, though? he's not, he's he's not the quickest and not the tallest, but he's got other attributes. His reading of the game is exceptional, and we know how good his organisation is. I certainly wouldn't be discarding him. No, but personal opinion. And I know people will say, "Oh, we get accused of him being one of our favourites." Well, it's for a reason because he brings so much to the party. And he's Nuno's on-field manager. I I can't see him discarding that anytime soon. But you think it could be him and Bolly next season, even though Bolly will be off to the African Cup I don't Cup know. Nations I, that's a good chunk. question. But Bolly and Saïs are both off to the African Cup of Nations. I think Saïs's place in the squad is vulnerable. He's got a year left on his contract and he's underperformed recently. And they're looking to... He's a squad player now, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, really? but they're looking to freshen things up. And, you know, my understanding is that while Nuno said a couple of weeks ago they want to improve the squad and they want a bigger squad... Um, it's the first team they're looking at this summer. You know, from conversations I've had, it's the first eleven that they're looking to improve first and foremost, which I think fans will be happy to hear. Um, obviously, you can say that's all bleeding obvious, but you know, in the past there may be a focus on improving the squad, whereas this summer I think first eleven first and foremost. So, interesting and discussions will be had, are being having had now, and will be over the next few weeks as to which positions exactly they're looking to pinpoint in the first team. It's not an easy task. Because, as we've said, the problems they've had with fatigue this season, you know, do you say that after a six-week break, these guys will return to their previous levels next season? Or is that too simplistic? You know, these are the decisions that Nuno's got to make. But yeah, as as you've rightly pointed out, 
if they're going to play four at the back and allow these creative players to generate and score goals, they've got to have a solid back line, first and foremost. And that's priority number one for me this summer. Um, if you've got Troy or a... And a solid left back, right? Because Johnny's going to be out for how long? So Johnny's out until at least October. I think it'd be longer because they'll want to really take their time with him this time. I don't think he'll be out for six months like he was last time. I think it'd be a longer period. And Tony Daly was on the pod recently and suggested as much. So... Yeah, that's a fa- that's another fascinating conundrum at left back. They've got Johnny Castrotto, Fernando Marcel, Ryan Aitnori, um, Ruben Vanagra, Ryan Giles. Then the two youngsters, Lewis Richards, has been arguably the player of the year for the under-23s this season. He's been on the bench a lot recently for the first team. Um, they've got six players there who can play uh, left, but Samedo and Hoover can play over there as well. We've seen Sice and Kilman there this season. So many players at left back. But is eight Nori solid enough for a back four that they desperately need to improve and well, make I guess solid? The, I, is it worth spending all well, that money on if they knew when Johnny was coming back and if they knew that Johnny was coming back to be himself, say on November the 1st, then it'd make their decision so much easier. But they don't know. They don't know how much longer Johnny's going to be out for. Um, you know, otherwise you might say, I, I think Anori's great and he's come on leaps and bounds. He's 19 and he's playing this well in the Premier League team. I think there's a player there. I would sign him. I know they're very conscious of the money they've got to spend this summer. I think he's worth it, personally. Marcel, his injury record, that's a huge question mark. He'll be on decent wages. Do you say we'll, we'll send him on in the summer? Can you guarantee he can play 38 games next year? Doubt it. You know, the evidence suggests not. So there's a huge question mark there over what they do. Maybe if they buy out Nori and they say, look, you've got the first three months of the season and then Johnny's back and then and then you, you're covered. But Could they loan him again for an extra six months or so, at least till Christmas, ain't Nori? Because that could see them through. But you just worry though, don't you, about him on the back of a, on the left yeah, of the back four. Totally. You if do. you're trying to be yeah. super solid, yes, he's good going forwards, but Marcel, Marcel's a lot Marcel more solid, would be but you can't trust him to play more than two games in a row. he's got that centre-back mentality as well when it comes to defending crosses, which Nori hasn't yeah. got, and, he's, and he still lets, he lets gaps at the back post. He does. Um, as Ruben Vinagre did, but he's great going forward. Johnny, as we know, is so dependable, so reliable. If Samedo's gonna not going to be that reliable on the other flank, you've got to have a, a really solid, reliable fullback. Johnny is that man, but sadly, won't be with us until October, November at the earliest. And how highly is Ryan Giles rated? Because he's two years older than Eight Nori. He's been playing in the Championship with Rotherham for their last few games, ninety minutes. I mean, is he? I mean, how much is Eight Nori due to cost? How many million? Twenty million. I mean, is he £20 million better than Ryan Giles? That's another question. If you're talking about somebody to fill in the gaps in between Marcel and Johnny. Well, the thing is... With when, that- when funds are tight and they desperately need to upgrade the midfield, sign another centre-forward, I think at least, and, and another centre-half too. Funds are tight. One dilemma Wolves have is, are they still going to buy potential? Bought a lot of potential in the last four years. Are they going to do that again this summer or are they going to buy ready-made first-team players to improve the first 11? And secondly, would Aitnori and Vitinha be players that got away? You know, if, they, if he goes back to Porto, Vitinha and absolutely smashes it. Like, look at Pedro Gonçalves and look what he's done this season. You know, he, he's one that got away. Is it worth the risk of him going on and developing and being worth much more elsewhere or do they want to get him for what could be a bargain now? Albeit... They've got so much else to do in the first team. Like I said, so many fascinating decisions. I'm glad I'm not the one making those decisions. But at the end of the day, if you're Ryan Aitnori, you can't be doing much more than what you're doing at the moment. I think he's playing really well. You're listening to The Molyneux View with me, Jackie Oatley, and Tim Spears from The Athletic, who started a very interesting piece this week with the following intro. What did you want to be when you grew up? Doctor, astronaut, God forbid, a journalist? Surely not. How about a strategic player marketing manager? Well, no, probably not, seeing as until recently there was no such thing as a strategic player marketing manager. Very nice intro, Tim. And this was about Matt Jackson, somebody I've worked with in the past. Very eloquent uh, young man, very good footballer in his time with Wigan, etc., Everton uh, and co. Tell us a little bit about this article, although people have to read it to, to get the full picture. Yeah, it's uh, Wolves made this announcement last week and they believe, and I, I'm not aware of any others, um, that it's a unique role in English football. And in, in a nutshell, it's about sorting departures from the club, player exits, and helping the club get the best deal, but also helping the player get the best club. And it's a sort of a luxury job, 
really. I'm not sure many clubs in uh, League One and League Two would afford to be able to have a strategic player marketing manager. This kind of thing falls under the remit of, you know, your sporting director normally or whoever deals whoever deals with transfers. As, as we've previously spoken about the podcast, Say Olaf and Yana has been the, the loans manager recently. He's moving soon to Grasshopper Zurich to take the sporting director role. So part of um, Shay's remit will now come under Matt's in terms of looking after the loan players, but he'll be looking at it from a real strategic, hence the name, point of view as to where these kids should be going on loan and part of the interview process he did was um, was pointing out, you know, where, I think he gave a couple of examples of where players should be going, which league, which club. But they're getting more specifically into it in terms of does the manager of that club, is he open to playing kids? Has he got a track record of doing so? Has he been an under-23s under manager? Do they play good football? Um if they go through a run of five defeats, are they going to just, you know, get rid of the kids and bring all the experienced players in to, to grind out a couple of results? That kind of stuff. This is the stuff that people just don't have time for normally. So it's really getting into the intricacies of where a player is going on loan, but also where they're leaving permanently. And the marketing part of it comes in where Matt will be sort of taking the role of sort of an agent's role, I guess, of talking to clubs elsewhere and trying to find out where where players can move on to permanently. So um, lots more to it than that, but it certainly it forms part of Wolves' ambition for the academy to be a self-sustainable business. Um, and Matt will look at senior players, people like Rafa Mir and Patrick Catroni and where they go next, but mostly it'll be, it'll be young players um, and where they go on loan and where they go permanently. You say it's a luxury role and absolutely understand what you mean by that, but I would imagine it's also in the club's interests that when they're trying to recruit talent, whether it's locally or from abroad, that they can say to the parents or the agents of these young players that we actually care about you as people. And yes, we're going to try and develop you. But as part of that, we might be sending you out on loan. And even if you don't make it at this club, we're going to make sure that we find the right place for you to go. I would imagine the parents listening to that when comparing it to other options might think, do you know what? This club actually cares about the individual of my child and wants to make sure that they're going to the right place, both personally and for their footballing future. This is another key part of it, you see. You know, if... If you've signed a player aged eight years old, and as we said earlier, Morgan Gibbs-White joined when he was eight years old, and then you go through the academy ranks from age group to age group, you're coached for hundreds and hundreds of hours. There's so much, so much time and effort gone into your development, and then you haven't made it at 18 and you get released. What next? You know, and there's been that partnership, that bond, those relationships that are built up between fa- between families and coaches and players and parents. Um, and all of a sudden it just ends. And, you know, what, what do players do next? So that's a part of it as well. There's a, there's a human aspect to this role um, in terms of trying to find the best club and the best move for those players who, who don't make it at Wolves. Um, and like I said, there's also a financial aspect as well in terms of looking after Wolves, in terms of inserting sell-on clauses as well. Um, but from what I understand, Matt, who's got great experience at, at Wigan in, with a, uh, as a director of football in a, in a variety of roles, will be involved in the decision-making process as well as, to ter- as, as in terms of where if a player leaves, you know, not just where he goes, but also if a player leaves. And um, I don't think he started officially at Compton yet, but but will be soon. And um, really interested to see how that pans out because it's, it's a very, um, very interesting role. It is. And he's a really, really good bloke as well. Excellent communication skills, which will come in very handy. Very highly respected. I always thought when he was playing, I remember sitting in my car listening to him on Five Live doing a post-match interview thinking, this bloke's going to make a great pundit. He was an absolute natural. And so he proved in terms of his analysis as a pundit. But um, I would imagine those communication skills will come in very handy in his next role at Wolves. So well worth reading that article. And it brings us on nicely to... The summer, and we've talked before whether we think the club are going to sign players from abroad again, as they tend to do, because of the premium place on English-based players. But actually, things have slightly changed now this summer, haven't they? Yeah, so um, this is an article in the Daily Mail the other day by by Tom Colomossi, um suggesting that Wolves are kind of switching their focus to, to domestic signings this summer. I'm not sure if it's as kind of as, as cut and dried as that, but I think naturally after Brexit, there's more of a focus on domestic buys. You know, I've written about this in the past, how the likes of Fabio Silva and Pedro Neto may not have joined Wolves under the current rules which have come in under Brexit, the new the new points system, which you know is very complicated, but I'll try and simplify it by saying 
if you're playing in a decent league and you're playing at international level, even the youth or full caps, then you've got a much better chance of being able to join a club. Whereas someone like Christian Marquez, who's, who's a very good defender for the under-23s, came from Grasshoppers and just wouldn't have been able to join, basically, as a, as a young player. I think he was 18 when he, when he joined. So Wolves won't be able to go out and buy the young unproven talents from abroad that they have done in the past so naturally there's more of a focus um, towards the domestic market which uh, is going to be a bit of a cattle market really in terms of because every English club is, is going to have to do the same and they're all going to be looking at the same players so that's an interesting dynamic shift in the in the transfer market but as for the first team um, I think there's more of an onus on getting not proven proven players but just players that they know can play in English football you know maybe maybe they might not currently be in the Premier League or the Championship but they may have been before just players who are perhaps more likely and better equipped to be playing in the Premier League I think is how I'd probably term it it's not a kind of a complete shift and there's so much better value for money overseas that I think that'll still be their primary focus and obviously George Mendes the vast majority of his clients are overseas as well so I still think that'll be their main focus but there's certainly a willingness to look towards the domestic market more now as well. So just remind us of the benefit of having a recruitment database of thousands of players if they tend to sign George Mendes clients. But it's not as simple as kind of going to Mendes and saying you know give us a player and he gives one. The way I understand it is obviously he helps identify players and offers players but no player is sort of signed without them exploring it further via the stats and the data and the analysis that they've that they've got from that recruitment team I mean yeah there's, there's sort of been a shift in public mood away from Mendes recently um, which I find interesting because his kind of hit rate when he came in was so good you know from that when Nuno first joined in 2017 almost every sort of first team player they signed for about two years in a row was a hit and we're still seeing, you know, the, the fruits of that with many of them still in the first team. But I feel like, yeah, the public mood is sort of moving away a bit from Mendes due to, uh, you know, two or three sort of weaker transfer windows, um, signing players who haven't come in and hit the ground running. And I guess you move away from Mendes at your peril in terms of what he can offer to the club. But if it's restricting which players you're looking at in a transfer window, then maybe it's wise for Wolves to kind of combine the two rather than just have players from one stable. Yeah, because there must be bargains in this country as well. Other clubs manage to find bargains. Yeah, of course. You know, <laughs> lots of clubs in the world do very well without George Mendes. Um, but George <laughs> Mendes has done very well for Wolves in the past. So that's been a very successful route for them and one that they'll continue to use heavily, I'm sure. So let's look forward to Wolves' next match, which is away to Tottenham on Sunday in a five past four kickoff, which sounds like there's not going to be a huge amount of build up, but that's just fine. It's live on Sky Sports. And Jack Pittbrook will be there for The Athletic, and he joins us now. Hi, Jack. Hey, Jackie. Very good to have you on the Molyneux View podcast. What are your thoughts on Spurs at the moment in this Ryan Mason era? It's been a very mixed bag. Two good wins, two bad defeats. They lost to Leeds on Sunday, oh sorry, on Saturday in a game that was pretty dispiriting, really, just because Leeds, look, Leeds, who have literally nothing to play for, looked so much hungrier, fitter, sharper, better organised than Tottenham did. And with that defeat, it makes European qualification a lot harder the next year. You know, I think they can basically say goodbye to the Champions League and uh, really it's going to be Europa League if they're lucky, but maybe Europa Conference League or maybe nothing at all. So it's a very mixed bag. But th- at the same time, it's very difficult to blame anyone, really, because Ryan Mason's 29 years old. He's only managed four senior games in his career and all the players are exhausted after a, a tough season. So it's, uh, it's all up in the air, really. Exhausted after a tough season. That sounds very familiar. Very, very familiar. Um, so, I mean, that, that was a bit of a, a shock result, the 3-1 away to Leeds. They comfortably beat Sheffield United 4-0 before to that with a bail hat-trick. Looking at the way they lined up in that last game against Leeds with a 4-2-3-1 with Bale, Ali, Son in behind Kane, uh, slightly gives us the willies, having watched some of the Wolves defending in recent times. But um, would you expect many changes from that lineup? Well, the midfield didn't really work again. So that, they had Lacelso alongside Hoiberg in the middle and they couldn't really get in the game and Leeds pressed them really well. So I wonder if they might bring back in Ndombele or perhaps even a Winks or Sissoko into midfield just to give them something a bit different. I think, although frankly, all the midfielders are, are exhausted at this point, which I'm sure is true of Wolves and lots of the other teams as well. In terms of the front four positions, well, you know, there's always a chance they could bring in a Bergwijn or a Lucas or a Lamella. 
But I think ultimately, Bale, Son, Ali and Kane are their best four attacking players, so they might as well stick with them. Jack, this uh, this may not be a, a quick answer to this question, um, but if you could try and give a brief summary of his season uh, when I ask you, Matt Doherty, what the hell has happened? Great question, Tim. Uh, he... He hasn't. He hasn't lived up to expectations. I think it's fair to say. Um, I think people were quite excited when when Spurs signed him because he's obviously done tremendously well at Wolves over the years. But I think this year he's not really been dangerous going forward. He's looked a bit slow and sluggish. He's looked like he's got maybe too many miles in his legs already. Perhaps I don't know. I don't think he responded very well to Mourinho. You know, it's no secret Mourinho is pretty hard on him. By the end of the Mourinho era, you'd often find Doherty being out of the squad at times, even when he wasn't injured. So it's been tough. And frankly, I mean, Serge Aurier is a player who has lots of lots of flaws, but I think Aurier's been a better player, really, over the course of the season, even though he does make a lot of big mistakes, because he's just, he's just quicker and fitter and sharper and more dangerous and better going forward. So it's been tough. It's been a tough season for Matt, and... Um, I, I hope that, you know, new manager, fresh start next year, he might get a bit better, but it's uh, it's not been great. When you say Mourinho's been hard on Doherty, what do you mean exactly? Has he said stuff publicly or is it from what you hear privately or is it just simply the way he's not played him very much and, and not said anything positive about him? Uh, I think it's a mix, a mix, Jackie. I've heard from sources that he was, that Mourinho would be tough on Doherty in, in matches at the training ground, that he would be critical at, of him and that you know some players respond really well to that you've seen that with Ndombele whereas other players don't really they go into their shell a bit and I think that's the suspicion really of what of what's happened with Doherty is that he he didn't really he he didn't really respond well when when Mourinho was very critical of him I can't remember Mourinho being that specifically critical of Doherty to us in press conferences or anything I think this is I think this is a bit more of a private issue but uh, at the same time, Mourinho has been very damning of the defensive mistakes that were made in general. And obviously, Doherty has been part of that. A lot of people from the outside looking in are looking at it simply as that he thrived under Nuno in a five because he could be so offensively strong with his lovely one-twos and his underlaps, etc. And, and he was able to roam free knowing that he had the, the cushion of three centre-halves behind him and going to Tottenham, they play more of a back four. So he hasn't been able to go forward as much and defensively he's not as strong. I mean, is that it in a nutshell, really? Or do you think there is more to it and that he's simply just not played very well? I think that I think that formation thing is a big part of it. You know, it seemed to me from the outside that at Wolves he had a team pretty much built for him to flourish in. And at Tottenham, he didn't really have that. He found himself going into a back four to be honest, the centre-backs playing next to him were have never been settled or particularly good all season at Spurs, and that's hard, and he has to do a lot more defending, also because of how Mourinho teams play, and they do often sit back in the second half if they've got a lead. So it's just a very different job, really, and he doesn't have this, he wouldn't have the same protection or the same comfort that he would have in that Nuno system. That has demanded an awful lot of him, and I think he's kind of struggled to make the adjustment. I think at one time he even played on the left-hand side, and that didn't really work. And Jose did try a back five sort of a handful of times in the middle of the season, and then right at the very end of his tenure, but that never really worked either. And uh, I, I know I, it's never once looked like Doherty's had a good, good rhythm or put a good run together. There have been some... Interesting reports linking Nuno with a move to Spurs at the end of the season, which I would I would describe as spurious personally. Does that chime with the information you've got, Jack, about about Spurs' manager search? Yeah, I can't see it being being Nuno. I mean, they want someone who plays progressive, dynamic front foot football, dominating the ball, getting the fans back on side. And while you know Nuno's obviously done a tremendous job at Wolves. I'm not sure his style of play is really exactly what the club want or what the fans want because, you know, the the club very much wants someone who can play a style of play the fans can engage with again because that's what they've lost, really, since they appointed Mourinho almost sort of 18 months ago. Um, so I, I'd be really surprised if it's him. I, I just don't think he really ticks all the boxes of what they're looking for at the moment, or even though he has he's obviously done, done a very good job at Wolves. He has. We would kind of agree with you on that front. We just can't see it happening either on any level. It would be a huge shock if that were to happen. But hey, stranger things have happened. A little question, very loaded one for you, Jack. Um, 
How good are Spurs aerially at attacking set pieces out of interest? I think Alderweireld scored one against Arsenal earlier in the season, I think. Or maybe that was the end of last season. I can't actually remember that many, but they should be good because Toby's really good in the air and Dyer's really good in the air. And, and yeah, I can't think specifically of that many examples of them of them scoring from attacking set pieces this year. Oh, you've only you've only gone and said it. You've only gone and said it now. Sorry, you'll have to forgive my ignorance here. Is this a big weakness for Wolves? Uh, it's, it certainly was against Lewis Dunk on uh, on Sunday, and yeah, yeah, defending crosses and set pieces has has been an issue all season, basically. Um, so if if Spurs want to score from uh, a header from a set piece, then come to Wolves, basically. Or interesting, yeah, I. I'm... But don't but don't tell them that because obviously they'll have no idea from their from yeah from their army of analysts they definitely won't have picked up on that so don't worry about it. Yeah, it's just not it's strange because it's one of those things that you'd you'd think a Mourinho team would be really bang on, but I uh, I struggle to remember any they have. I remember at Molyneux last season, didn't Vertonghen scored the winning goal with that header right at the very end around sort of was it December twenty nineteen January twenty twenty. Around then, you must remember that game. That's when Wolves played really, really well and didn't deserve Wolves to were fantastic, yeah. That's when Traore ripped, ripped them to shreds and I think three players were booked for, for fouling Traore. Yeah, they all fouled Traore and Traore took Vertonghen to the uh, absolute cleaners, as they say. But Vertonghen scored that header at the end. But that aside, I actually can't remember Tottenham scoring that many set-piece goals since then. Well, the good news from a Wolves point of view is that Spurs are the only side they've managed to score from within the six-yard box against in league and cup, all competitions this season. So they're bound to do it again. So I think we figured this game out entirely. That was what the, the one-all draw around Christmas this season, wasn't it? Which was really... That was the start of the decline for Mourinho because they had this... You know, Spurs were doing really well around... October, November, December. And then they had this run where they kept going 1-0 up in games they should really have won. And then not really knowing what to do at 1-0, sitting back, conceding a sort of inevitable feeling equaliser right at the very end. It happened against Palace. It happened against Wolves, obviously. Fulham, Newcastle, or Newcastle twice, actually. And in those games, that was really what killed their season and what started the decline which Mourinho couldn't fix so I think a lot a lot of Spurs fans do have very negative memories of that of that particular game at Molyneux earlier this season Jack Pitt Brook thank you very much enjoy the game on Sunday thank you so much for having me a few tweets now for you Tim Bernie Burner other than the obvious question of Pedro Neto which player have you been most pleased to watch this season for Wolves is that his real name or is, or is that like the guy a couple of weeks ago who you thought had a fake name? I can't remember his name. <gasps> Bernie Oh, Burner. I felt so bad. Ben, ben Durance. Or it might be Ben Durance. Ben I don't know. And I just thought it was a play on words. Like Ben Donker is not his real name. It's Ben something else. Ben Stanton, I think. And yes. I think I offended Ben Durance thinking he just was like the Duracell bunny. Anyway. Bernie Burner. Uh, good question, Bernie. Traore? For me. Like, I, I just He's like... Uh, He's the eighth wonder of the world to watch. He's like, he's just totally unique. I know people get frustrated with his end product, but to watch him, we should never take it for granted, him taking on players at will. That assist he produced against West Ham a few weeks ago was mind-blowing. Absolutely unbelievable. I try and appreciate him because I know he's not going to be around forever. We'll never see a player like him again at Wolves. We've never seen one before, never seen one again. I think Honestly, I think he's, he's a force of nature. He's phenomenal. Love watching him. Absolutely agree with you. The number of people that are so harsh on him. And they're they're just so like, harsh on him. Just enjoy what he can product. do. Why yeah, but he'll beat five men do. like three times in a game and it's still not enough for some people it's because he hasn't scored or assisted. He set one up for they, Gibbs White who, you know, who put the ball over the bar. That would have been another yes, notch on his another bench assist, there, wouldn't it? Another assist. He should have had loads this season. And he takes five players on every time and they're like, oh, we did that last week. Oh my God. <laughs> no one else can do that. Just enjoy it. God and sake. imagine if we played a 4-2-3-1 one in which he's got an extra player to link up with, players closer together. Look at the space he created yesterday for the 10. For, for Gibbs White yes. or Bettina, he dragged defenders away. That's exactly what he should do. I love watching him play more centrally, by the way, as well. When he's not yeah, stuck out on the right, that's where he scores. That's where he always, yeah, exactly. Yes, Absolutely. yes. Oh, we agree on something. Chris Fisher, are Dion Sanderson and Rafa Mir more likely to be seen as a way to bring in money this season or viable option for next year's team? Uh, I mean, Rafa Mir scored another unbelievable <gasps> wow. last weekend. 
I mean, what a season he's having. I still don't think he'll come back into the first team fold. As discussed, they've they've spent thirty two million on Jimenez and thirty five on Silva. I I don't see him getting ahead of either of them in in the pecking order, and I don't see Nuno bringing him back to be third choice. That'll decrease his value. I think they'll take third advantage. Choice? Can you not play two from three? You know, mix and match different games. Does, it's does, not always not, a case of no. But he's not really never really played two strikers, has he? Ever? No, no. I just just don't see it happening. I might might be wrong. I just uh, history tells us. He won't bring him back to sit on the bench either. What he may do is have a look at him this summer. They get a proper pre-season. They get to go away somewhere, have a few friendlies and see what he can do. But I think his value is so high at the moment that they'll cash in. Perhaps for Sanderson too. You know, we talk about the need to bring in a defender this summer. I don't think they're going to thrust Dion Sanderson in, into the fold. They want reliable, proven players this summer. And um, Sanderson isn't one yet. As, as, as much as he might be one day, he's not yet. I think a championship loan for Sanderson, in my opinion, rather than sort of trying to make a few million on him now. Yeah, I was talking to the BBC Sunderland guys last weekend and they were absolutely raving about him. And Gary Bennett, the Radio Newcastle summariser for the Sunderland Games, says he can absolutely play in the Premier League. He's no doubt about that. He was a centre-half himself, by the way. A very good one as well. And they were both saying just what a, a top, top lad he is in terms of his personality, in terms of his media work, in terms of the way he plays. Centre-half, they rate him highly and just a little bit loath to sell him with a view to him potentially becoming a Premier League player you think load him out to the Championship maybe Sunderland I definitely would and maybe maybe Sunderland absolutely uh, Sunderland will probably look to buy him as well if they do win promotion but we'll, we'll see what happens but a Championship loan at centre half next season we've seen what Ben White did at Leeds and how he came back into Brighton's team that's the kind of impact that they'll be looking for him to have yeah they were desperate to sign Ben White weren't they I wouldn't mind Lewis Dunk by the way imagine him and Connor Cody at the back. I wouldn't mind that. Anyway, Nag King Wolf 84. Any update on when we'll get the result of the Wolves Women progression application? Yes, I checked in with the FA today and they said end of May, beginning of June. Yes, I was I was told last week of May as well. So yeah, finally, they'll uh, hopefully common sense will prevail and uh, they'll move it to the third tier. You can't imagine them not bearing in mind the criteria. I mean, they meet all the criteria and uh, yes, yeah, so hopefully we'll get confirmation of that soon. We're rubbish at doing quick fire <laughs> tweets. Oh, no, yeah. We? We that was, just, yeah, that was three. It took about 10 minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> also, Tim, there've been so many tweets about set pieces, about defending them poorly and about the short corner routine. Somebody was asking about whether they have a, a coach specifically for set pieces and what they're doing. I mean, what do you say to that? Uh, the short corners thing, yeah frustrating but to most I get it because you know we look at the problems they had in their own box they weren't tall enough Brighton had a a foot on each player so if that's causing you problems in your own box why would you just then lump it into the opposition box when you have a corner you're going to have exactly the same problem you haven't got the height so what they were trying to do was draw Brighton's defenders out of position do something a bit different so that, I, I got it I know it's frustrating because none of them worked but equally I think just knock it just lumping it into the box wouldn't have worked either because apart from Kilman they just they just didn't have the height so as we mentioned earlier their tallest players apart from Kilman just weren't in the team and it was ready. It kind of played into Brighton's hands, really. But um, but defensively this season, they haven't been good enough for set pieces. It's been a problem all season long, whether Dundonka, Bolly and Sice are in the team or not. So definitely something to work on next season. Not, they don't have a dedicated set piece coach, as far as I'm aware, but they have loads of analysts and people whose job it is, you know, full time to work on this kind of stuff. So I'm sure they'll be looking at it. But yeah, it's it's been an issue all, all season, not just on Sunday. Might that affect the recruitment, perhaps? And they're thinking the team's just not tall enough. You said the taller players weren't in the team, but Saïs isn't necessarily one for next season, is he? Has Dendonka done enough this season? All those questions on whether that might need to be another factor in terms of their recruitment, because having diminutive midfielders marking six foot seven inch centre halves who are making you run into the box because your two centre halves are already marking the two strikers, it's not ideal, is it? Yeah, potentially, potentially. Um, you know, it's it's kind of been heightened in the last few weeks by playing Burnley and Brighton. You know, two very very big teams. It's one for Nuno whether whether he wants to to go down that route and add add a bit more physicality. It's not been an issue before this season, so it's it's that's his his job to work out if it's going to be an issue going forward. And very finally, any idea yet on what Wolves going to do pre season, or is that one to ask Nuno in the presser this week? No, it's with, such a with, big with, issue with the COVID situation. I just uh, planning has been a bit fruitless, so uh, I'm sure they'll be trying to finalise something as soon as possible. But it's it's not going to be the normal pre-season, of course not. 
Thank you, Tim. Cheers, Bob. Anything else you're working on before the weekend you'd like to tell us about? Loads. Oh, there's so much going on the next few weeks. We've got so many articles. Like, it's um, uh, unbelievable the amount of stuff we're doing. Loads of stuff for the end of the season, loads of stuff for the summer. Don't, I'm not going to tell you about any of it, but um, but it's all good. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll trust you on that. Well, people have better subscribed then, haven't they, if they want to be reading your articles. But um, do go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod to make sure you are a subscriber so that all that fabulous, gorgeous wolves content is available to you throughout the summer and beyond for less than a pound a week for the first six months theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod thank you tim and thank you to jack pitbrook as well for his preview of the spurs game at the weekend we'll be back with you in your regular podcast inbox next tuesday morning bye for now the athletic